Coming up on Telling the Odds, Mando Season 1 cleans up at the Emmys, Qui-Gon Jinn's Liam Neeson speaks out on The Phantom Menace over two decades on, and at long last, Mando Season 2 trailer has arrived. All that and more, coming up now. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Telling the Odds with your hosts Jack Dunn and Michael Flavel. Hell we're yeah. Here. We're very excited to talk about this trailer. It's Ooh, been yes. a while before <laughs> we've been wanting this trailer. We're, you know what? <laughs> I, if someone watched our episode Mando trailer coming next week, last week, yeah. then then we're not liars. So we're set. So, we're set. <laughs> uh, when did we predict that it would come? Oh god, that was like four episodes ago, four oh, weeks was... ago. We're, well, it's all good because it eventually came, so we can ignore exactly. everything we've said in the past and just enjoy it. <laughs> exactly. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, Welcome Sunday, back. the 20th of September. I hope you guys are all doing very well. Uh, I know we're doing uh, uh, pretty well or as well as you can be. Yeah. Uh, but in- I mean, we've got a Mandalorian trailer on the week, so I've had a pretty good week. Exactly, and we're going to get in-depth in that, which is basically means we should pop off straight away and get right into the news before we get into our main discussion of that, of course, being the trailer breakdown. So our first mm-hmm. news topic for the week, Michael, uh, yeah. what have we got? Uh, our first news topic this week is towards Mandalorian and its women, uh, women, winning big at the Emmys. Yes, uh, yeah, well, Mandalorian season one, I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when it was first, uh, you know, a, a nominated. Uh, Mandalorian has um, received, I think, a five five Emmy awards for um, the production of season one. Uh, outstanding cinematography for, uh, um, let's see, chapter seven, uh, The Reckoning. Outstanding production design for the first uh, episode, The Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. Uh, outstanding sound editing for chapter one. Outstanding sound mixing for chapter two. And outstanding visual effects for episode two, also the child. Um, let's basically break that down a little bit because outstanding cinematography for episode seven that makes a lot of sense because that one was uh, the one that I believe was held by Deborah Chow. It was the second last one, and I remember some very groundbreaking, beautiful shots in there. The ones yes. where um, I I just remember um, watching the the part where Kuil unfortunately you know, dies is, is mm. shot dead by the scout troopers yeah. and um, how it slowly pans over to him. It just makes it so much more impactful. And I think that yeah. that was, um, I can understand like certainly why cinematography specifically was awarded to uh, yeah. that episode in particular. That was probably, as, probably the best cinematography one out of all of the episodes. It, absolutely. Yeah. I, that's why I can't wait to see Deborah Chow helm, um, helm Kenobi. Uh, Kenobi. Exactly. Uh, outstanding production design for chapter one. That also makes a lot of sense because the first thing that became inherently apparent to me when I started watching the show was, my God, this is unlike any other TV show that you've seen before because it is. it does have Lucasfilm behind it, which means you've got the big bucks and... Uh, uh, look, it just looked beautiful whenever it was on screen, but particularly in episode one when, you know, because by episode eight, you were expecting it. In episode yep. one, it was all new and you're just like, wow, this yeah. is absolutely amazing and I can't Definitely. wait for the rest of the show. Yeah, of course, um, first watching Mandalorian, you're like, wow, this is like the first episode, like that high of just being like, this is an amazing Star Wars TV show that like feels like a film and I just can't wait to see more. That was such a good, that was such a good feeling. Yeah, sound editing and sound mixing for chapters one and two specifically, uh, uh, respectively. I'm, I'm sure they are very deserving of that. Chapter two had a lot of, uh, you know, um, stuff going on with the sand crawler that had to yeah. be intercut with not only those giant treads, but 
but Jawas screaming and doing all their Utini stuff, and yep. especially especially the Mudhorn that was that would have taken a, a, some um, you know sound yeah. editing talent. And uh, as for the Mudhorn that actually uh, pertains to the last award they were given, which is visual effects for episode two, yeah. because that Mudhorn is flawless. Uh, you, yeah, it, it, they it, gave it, it to. Oh, sorry, you go. It looks completely real, and yeah, I, 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 I mean, yeah, that's all I could say. Yeah, they gave um, it to episode two, which is interesting. I think. I definitely agree that the visual effects in episode two were very stunning. Like not only with the mud horn, which is good, but overall the whole like sand crawler and that whole like uh, action set piece where he was like ro- craw- crawling around on it and all of that. That was really good. But I mean, yeah. visual effects has been stunning throughout pretty much the entire show. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if necessarily the the second episode stood out the most to me, but I think yeah, yeah probably now that I think about it, it's probably one of the better ones. Yeah, I, I think in chronologically in terms of the episodes themselves, I think episode two was the first time that you really got to see a lot of what that 360 VR screen could do because the opening yeah. of the episode starts with Mando in that like little ravine when he gets attacked by Trandoshan yeah, bounty hunters. All that is the screen and you don't notice it at all until you watch the behind the scenes ones yeah, that we did a breakdown of uh, lots of weeks ago. And um, you know, that part where he's like fixing his, uh, fixing like, you know, his, his armor and Yoda's like trying to like, not Yoda, <laughs> the child, baby Yoda is like trying to reach up to him. All mm. that is behind the screen as well. And it's completely seamless. So I think that special effects is definitely um, uh, very warranted for that episode and all of them. Exactly. Like, like you were saying, Michael, any of them could have won it, but uh, mm. yeah, all in all, very deserving. When I heard that they were nominated for so many of these Emmys, I was like, yes, awesome. And uh, yeah, the fact that they took away the five of them is uh, very well, very um, well done too. Because look, Mando's already been, uh, you know, greenlit for a third season. But, oh, if yeah. your sh- but if your shows are winning awards, that is, is a very good sign in terms of, you know, production teams. They're going to let that show go on for ages if it's, you know, not only good, but, um, you know, being, you know, hailed as a really yeah. good... Uh, you know, piece of art by critics and stuff. Exactly. So, well, the people behind yeah. it put so much work into it, and it shows completely. Like the, the fact that like it feels as like almost at the same level as the Star Wars films, yet it's a yeah. TV show is is monumental, and it's experienced success not only with as these rewards, but I think like when it first dropped on Disney Plus, like it's you can't necessarily measure a hundred percent of how successful Disney Disney Plus was but due to that as well as other things but it was so successful in its like first month and like everyone i like knew was like watching the mandalorian which especially even people who only really watched the star wars films were watching the mandalorian so it definitely yeah. had a huge impact yeah you know what when you think about it like you know it's just a show and yet look okay look um when you know force awakens last jedi Rise of Skywalker, you know, especially with the sequel films, when they they have a presence at the Oscars, but it's always for sound mixing, sound editing, the original score by John Williams. But that's the thing is that that's really where it stops. You know, cinematography and production design is is uh, a territory that Star Wars hasn't delved into since I believe the original films, when A New Hope went away with seven Academy Awards. Yeah. Uh, so they are really breaking ground, and like we said, it's just a series, and it's almost doing a lot more than the than the than the actual films can in terms of this area, in terms of uh, um, uh, uh, awards claim. Uh, yeah. So anyway, that's yeah. that, and uh, yeah, I hope to see Mandalorian season two win even more Emmys. Yeah. <laughs> um, Hopefully, yeah. it's up the first season, even yeah. if it's just on par with the first season, I'll be happy. 
Exactly. Uh, so yeah, that's that, everyone. And now we are going to move on to our second uh, topic of discussion for today, and that pertains to Mr. Liam Neeson, or as many Star Wars fans will know him, Qui-Gon Jinn, the master of Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, on Sirius XM's Radio Andy's, uh, you know, radio show podcast. Uh, he was asked about. Uh, I know this. <laughs> well, I just Google Star Wars news, and that comes that's up. So, so good. I'll, so yeah. good. I love uh, it. Yeah, no, I'm not listening to every Star Wars related thing. I just <laughs> like, like you know, when we're listening to my podcast, uh, this uh, radio show. Oh, they're talking about Star Wars. Write this down. Write this down. Yeah, that that's a that's a peek behind the curtain in terms of our uh, pre production before we go on air. Everyone, I literally just Google Star Wars news and something pops up. It goes in the running sheet. Uh, cool. But yeah, I mean, like, I like to think that's what everyone does, but it's probably not yeah. the case. No, no, uh, no. no, no. <laughs> Supreme um, research and, and background information. Yes. Uh, anyway, yes, Liam Neeson was asked about uh, Phantom Menace. It's been 21 years since the film came out, and uh, that means that Liam Neeson has not only had a lot of time to make a name for himself since that day, but, uh, you know, has um, had a lot of time to, to, to reflect, because Liam Neeson is, um, you know, he's not only known for Qui-Gon Jinn, but people who are really big fans of Star Wars will easily pick him out of a lineup and say, oh yeah, you were that guy. Uh, so the Star when, Wars guy. Yeah. So when he was asked about the reception of Phantom Menace and how it seems to uh, pertain to the fan base and to him, you know, himself all these years later, he said, uh, I know a lot of fans and critics didn't like it. Ahmed Best, who played Jar Jar Binks, came in for a lot of criticism. I mean, to, I mean, to the point where it really hurt his career. That is definitely true, and that's another thing he sort of weighs in on is uh, the reception and the uh, criticism that was um, subjected onto Ahmed Best for his portrayal of Jar Jar Binks, which was, com- you know, completely unwarranted, you know? I mean, like, we weren't yeah. around for that time. We were itty-bitty babies. Um, and uh, But we have seen a very similar thing with, you know, Kelly Marie Tran and how she was uh, treated on social media and stuff like that, and it really shows that it's been inherent for a long time and that's just, you know, not on. But he yeah. continued to uh, weigh in on that, saying, uh, I have to say, when I was making the film, Best was probably one of the funniest guys and talented guys I've ever worked with. Um, I have no doubt of that, because I've seen him, I'm at Best in interviews, and I've seen him in yeah. those, uh, because I think it was... I think it's at uh, Galaxy's Edge, the Star Wars theme park, where you can actually, you know, have the Jedi experience where you get dressed up in Jedi robes. It's like when you get to go to... Um, yes. It's it, it's like Harry Potter world, where you get to, like, dress up in robes and go to Hogwarts and stuff like that. Yep. Uh, but basically, you know, for Star Wars. And Ahmed Best plays a Jedi who sort of, like, leads you. He's, like, the, the lead Jedi who sort of yeah, like, it, does it, all the teaching and stuff. It's really I've, great that he's come back to the Star Wars galaxy, like, that he hasn't been scared off or, or anything yeah. like that. No, absolutely. And I've seen those videos. Obviously, I haven't done it myself, but I've seen, like, you know, introductory videos of him, you know, uh, on YouTube and stuff like that. He just seems like the nicest, most caring guy, and also very funny. I would love to meet Ahmed Best because he just seems like the nicest guy. Um, yeah, quite, uh, I almost called him Qui-Gon. Uh, Liam Neeson revealed that after working with Best, he called his he called his agent, Liam Neeson called Ahmed Best's agent, um, to tell him that he felt like he had been working with the next Eddie Murphy uh, and he added on the podcast, like, you know, this week that he still believes that. So, um, I, I honestly wish, and this is, you know, a byproduct of the criticism that he received and so he like, you know, he, he sort of went into his shell wrongfully, uh, but we never got to see that because of how hurt he was by the terrible things that were said to him, uh, after Phantom Menace came out. Yeah. Um, I think because Star Wars just had, has such a big franchise and is such, such the big, like, thing that it is people's expectations just get so radically high and like yes i agree i also want good star wars films however 
it's just completely bizarre to just attack the people who make them for not making good enough art. I don't I know. know. It's, it's just no, and like you know, again, we weren't around when it happened. Well, I mean, we were, but well, that's, that's, we well, speak. Um, uh, we weren't born, but yeah. Um, but well, we, yeah, that's we true. Were around again, something similar happened to Kelly Marie Tran on social media. So yeah, it's still happening. This is. This is still a thing where people who just get so invested, but get invested back, like in the wrong way, where they feel like it's their entire world, and when it like doesn't go the way they want it to, they feel like they have to lash out at someone, and they they choose to do that. The actors, and it's yeah, Look, it's it's it's, yeah. it's it's absolute bullshit. Needs to stop. Uh, mm. yeah, and that's just. I mean, what else can you say? Like, it's just terrible, and terrible both things. Times, and... Both times they were listened to. So they're not going to stop if it's successful because Jar Jar hardly end the second one and only in one scene in the third one, Kelly Marie Tran with the uh, um, Rose is like in like however many minutes in Rise of Skywalker. So She's clearly, got like five lines. Yeah, so clearly it's successful. So they're going to keep doing it if, they, if, if the filmmakers listen to them. Yeah, no, Jesus. it's 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 really. I mean, that's a that's a byproduct of again all this terrible stuff that happens. And uh, look, that that goes into a discussion that we could have about Rise of Skywalker that we will have in a, in the coming weeks. Have, yeah. But um, yeah, that's that's a whole other animal in itself. But anyway, Liam Neeson did go on, and uh, he was uh, like, you know, at first he was talked about. He talked about Ahmed Best, and that's why we've talked about it. And then mm. he sort of focuses more on Phantom Menace itself and the fact that he. Um, uh, look, I've seen all the articles saying, you know, Liam Neeson defends Phantom Menace and stuff like that. I don't think it needs to be defended. But uh, anyway, he goes, he goes, I'm very proud of the film. I got to be a Jedi. I got to play with those wonderful lightsabers and stuff. And it was terrific. Uh, I'm at best truly is one of the funniest guys. And then wham, bam, the film comes out and he's attacked. Personally attacked by fans and critics for whatever reasons. But I like the movie. I'm proud of it. Um... That is not surprising to me at all because Liam Neeson, I believe, is one of the best parts of Phantom Menace and I love Qui-Gon Jinn. I think in our very first episode, I um, admitted to the fact that yeah. Liam, that Qui-Gon Jinn is my favorite uh, prequel Jedi. Yeah, um, he's great. That's the th- yeah, that's the thing. Like, It's very clear in that film. Liam Neeson puts a ton of work in. He really conveys the emotions and the feel of his character a lot more strongly than necessarily a lot of the other characters are portrayed mm-hmm. in those films. And so that, that definitely comes a lot comes across well and so to think that he had a good time in it and he, he liked the movie and he was proud of it yeah that, that's completely understandable i mean yeah, i'd I'm, be proud of something that i put a lot of effort into and i think that turned out well for, at least if i artistic uh effort come across in it yeah absolutely you know it honestly doesn't matter if the film is good or bad like you know a lot of work goes into making a film and especially you know having being such a commanding voice in terms of the the actors and Liam yeah. Neeson, who was coming off of films like Schindler's List, where where, where he was Oscar nominated for just an amazing performance, and then turning mm. into a Jedi only five years later, um, you know, it comes with a lot of pressure. And do and to be as good as he was, not only uh, is just yeah, I, I absolutely uh, think that being proud of it is one hundred percent warranted. And um, he went on to, con- to continuing to say, uh, all these years later, I'm really aware of what our films meant to the generation they were made for the children of that time they really liked them i've met people who they mean a lot to who they mean a lot to those films more so than the original three and i'm like 
are you kidding? <laughs> um, which is an interesting, uh, you know, discussion to have because I know many people who are little, who are a little bit younger than me who do think that the prequels are better than the originals, or or at the very least, uh, you know, they watch them more frequently. And yeah. I complete, completely understand why because I am totally fine with saying this. I'm pretty sure Attack of the Clones was the first Star Wars film I saw. Uh, so yeah. actually, no, 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 tell a lie. I did see the original first. Because, but um, when I was like six years old, but that's because like my sister was watching it, and then I really got into the prequels because they were made. They were made for us. The mm. the original three were made were made for kids. The, the the next prequels were for different kids, and that's just and that's basically what Liam Neeson says here is there's a generational disparity between the between the two trilogies, and they are very much in uh, you know that very much plays into how the two trilogies are interpreted and same can yeah. be said for the sequel trilogy. But. I think so. Cause it's like our generation is like uniquely positioned as opposed to like older Star Wars fans or whatever, where we grew up with the prequels. However, we didn't grow up with them having come like coming out. And so like the, the anticipation and disappointment from it, like we just grew up having them always have been around. And yeah. so like because of that, they are part of our style. I mean, for me, I did watch the original trilogy first, but when mm-hmm. I was younger, I'm sorry, Attack of the Clones was my favorite film. And yeah, I loved the prequels. I would watch them over and over again. And so, and especially when you are younger and you don't necessarily notice as much the problems that people have with the prequels. Plus with Clone Wars, the TV show, having like bringing a lot of people to have a more positive view of the Clone Wars era. It's no surprise. Yeah, it's no surprise that the prequels as like, as a, as a film trilogy and as an as an era of Star Wars has become so revered in like recent history, especially with like people generally our age, uh, yeah. and like online communities have really gotten into it. And so I think that makes sense. And while personally I still prefer the original trilogy, and I can understand and I I understand why like original p- people when they originally watched them in cinemas were disappointed. That does not mean that I don't enjoy the prequels. I I can easily find enjoyment in the prequels in th- many different ways that I think unexpectedly that I didn't think I would. So yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Like, I mean, you just said it, the original trilogy will always be top bar for me. I literally have the original star Wars poster hanging over my head as we speak right now. Uh, but the prequels, like, you know, I think that they honestly get, I like them more as they age more because of the fact that I'm getting, I'm getting older. The prequels themselves are getting older because they were released in the early two thousands. Um, and you actually bring up a very good point there, Michael, is that, you know, when we were, when we were kids, the prequels were already out. We technically did grow up in the prequel generation, but we weren't old enough to watch them when they were actually coming out. The last prequel, Revenge of the Sith, came out in 2005. We were both four years old. Exactly. Um, I don't think we were watching Revenge of the Sith back then. There's yeah, one thing you do say, Phantom Menace, I think, gets older as it gets better as it gets older. Revenge of the Sith, I think, gets better as it gets older. Attack Le- of the Clones, I'm not too sure. No, I wouldn't say so. Like That, that's that one the, that... kind of age is the worst out of all of them. Like the No, I... I... I, I, I have to agree with you there. Attack of the Clones is really the one that I just, like, you know, I, I, I find myself in different Star Wars moods. If I'm yeah. in a certain mood, I might watch the original yeah. trilogy. And if I'm in a certain mood, I might end up watching a prequel. But I really don't think I would ever, like, you know, go out of my way to watch Attack of the Clones. But that's yeah, a whole nother story. Only watch Attack of the Clones in a, in a trilogy, sorry, in a, in a prequel trilogy, like, whole watch. Or yeah. if I'm, like, maybe as a prequel to the the Clone Wars TV show. That's pretty much it for me. Yeah. Like I might stumble onto it on Star Wars day when I'm watching the films or maybe or, even, or like literally the only yeah. reason that I've watched it recently is because we talked about it on exactly. the show. Apparently um, there is a fun 
edit of Attack of the Clones. Yeah. Called, where, where it's just Obi-Wan's parts, and it's like Obi-Wan Jedi Detective. I would actually be interested in watching that sometime. That would be a fun edit to watch. Look, I think we were talking about it when we had Trey on. Is like one of the film, one like you know, a film idea for Star Wars that I would really love to see is like a detective story. Yeah. It's sort of like Seven meets Blade Runner. Like, I would love that. Um, yeah. All set in like maybe the underworld of Coruscant. That'd be so sick. But anyway, that, um, that getting back to what Liam Neeson was talking about, uh, when he yeah. says... Um, you know, when people come up to him and say that he likes the prequels more than the original films and he's like, are you kidding? Um, you know, that's, I, I can understand why he would think that because the original trilogy does have a general consensus as being the best, but yeah, the real, the prequels and the love that those films have amassed, especially as time continues to go on really can't be ignored. It's definitely a thing that is, uh, growing increasingly prevalent, even in my own mentality. So, um, there you go. I like to hear Liam Neeson still talking about Star Wars, and I believe he was um, asked a couple months ago if he would ever return to um, uh, the Star Wars universe, and he was like, "Yeah, sure. I mean, I like the films, so yeah. I mean, like, so it definitely wasn't like a like a whole confirmation, but like, you know, I don't know. Maybe he's got plans to show up in Kenobi. Who knows? Uh, I would love to see Qui Gon in Kenobi. Yes, I think. Regardless. Um, if anything that we would see Qui-Gon in, I think definitely it would be Kenobi as like a, a forced ghost slash force voiced to shop. Because yeah. he, he voiced himself in Clone Wars. Yes. Sure. No, he does show up. Uh, you know, he Liam Meeson returned to voice Qui-Gon in the Mortis arc and the, uh, the, the, the Yoda episode one. where Yoda goes to Dagobah for the first time. Yeah. Um, so and, he's come back before. So I, I think yeah. that would be a great surprise if he showed up in Kenobi. Oh, yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of sense because... Yeah. Uh, the whole reason, the half the reason Kenobi is on Tatooine is to learn from Qui-Gon Jinn. It's literally set up in Revenge of the Sith. Exactly. Um, and like, you know, he says, Qui-Gon tells Yoda in the Clone Wars that he can't manifest himself visually. He can only, you know, project his voice. So Qui-Gon, uh, like, you know, Liam Neeson wouldn't have to show up to set. He could, he could record it whenever. <laughs> yeah. um, just send which, them a, an audio file. and be yeah, just do it. Just do it as a voice memo in like his Luke. car. Luke. <laughs> his name. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, so that sort of uh, summarizes Liam Neeson's, um, you know, day in the sun this week for Star Wars, and uh, yeah. good to hear. Good to hear from him. I, I would like to, to see him return. But anyway, I do like it when when people, if they've necessarily not been in the uh, in the bestest of received films, it's good when they can still talk positively on about the time whether they enjoyed their time in the Star Wars universe because we have received a bit of neg- not necessarily negativity, but just kind of like apathy or like. Dis, dis, uh, discontent or whatever with the Star Wars franchise with some people like John Boyega or, or like Daisy Ridley or whatever and like it makes sense but like you know every so often it's good to hear positive stories of people enjoying their time in Star Wars yeah no I definitely agree with that but now now Michael we have big one to, we, we have come to it at last uh, that's the thing is that um, that's I remember watching the, uh, this as is the minute I woke up on the morning it dropped and I texted you and said oh at long last it's finally here Mandalorian season two trailer, everyone. Uh, may or may not have watched it the night before when it dropped at like an American time. <laughs> no, because I, because that's the thing. Obviously, it does drop on American time, like you said, uh, Michael. So when I woke up, it had already been on the interwebs for like six hours. But you know, that's I just... I watched it when it had been on the internet for seventeen minutes. So <laughs> that's how good it is. Fantastic. Well, I'm glad that you got into it so quickly. Um, yeah. Basically, what we're going to do here, guys, we're going to talk about it and uh, break it down scene by scene and tell us what, tell you guys uh, what we think. I think that we, 
I mean, do you want to watch it again before we get into it? Uh, I, mean, I I did watch it beforehand. Um, okay, but if you, I mean, if you want to watch it again, I think I, mean, I, the, I would. I'm just not sure. Yes, we have uh, some screenshots here, so they should be yeah. good to rejog our memory. But frankly, I'm just not sure what the uh, the 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 rules are in terms of uploading stuff to <laughs> Apple Podcasts with other people's media. But mm. uh, anyway, I uh, probably that's best a, not to risk it. Yeah, exactly. We won't. So um, we'll just get right into it, I suppose, because uh, we have we have taken screenshots of everything that we see in the trailer. We have written them down on our running sheet. We're going to get into it. Uh, yes. Just we'll to watch along at home. Yeah, at home exactly. Um, just ref- to maybe just to refresh your memory, give this episode a pause, go watch the Mando uh, season two trailer, and then come back because we're going to break it down scene by scene. Uh, without uh, so anyway, things you missed about the Mandalorian season trailer coming oh, up now. God, do you actually watch those videos? No. Okay, okay, good. I used to. Um, I was like most into Star Wars when I was like I don't know fifteen or whatever. Now yeah. I can't stand it. I'm just no. like I would just rather wait for the show to come out and and yeah. find out then. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, uh, enough talk. Let's get right into it. Yeah. Um, the first shot we have actually shows the laser crest, and it's coming over a large, large planet, and is heading towards a smaller planetary moon that's sort of like blue, you know, mm. oceany in color. And uh, I just got to say, the laser crest does not look in good shape here. It yes, looks damaged. Uh, the implication um, being that it's like kind of like uh, crashing through space, maybe on low power mode or something like that. Yeah. It's interesting. We've got a, we've got a gas giant, uh, that it's, it's around. So, uh, yeah. Jupiter-like. Because I was, because I was thinking, obviously is, you know, Mando's going back to Tatooine. We see that in the coming, in the At coming screenshots. Point, yeah, we do know um, that. At one point, I did think because you know it's 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 very well known in the very literally the very first scene in the original Star Wars, Tatooine has a sort of blue planetary body hovering above it. So when I first saw this, like you know, literally the moment it showed up on my well on my phone when I was watching it, uh, I thought it was Tatooine, but it's really not because these like you know large rings again do indicate a um, a gas giant like you were just talking about, Michael. Um, but not only is the Razor Crest seemingly damaged, the landing ramp is open, the lights are flickering from inside so it's clearly quite beaten up and we'll actually have an explanation as to why in the coming screenshots that we'll be showing you because it, I think that like you know some of the screenshots that you see after this shot actually precedes this one and explains why it's damaged but anyway we'll get into that mm-hmm. soon the next shot basically shows just Mando and the child you know being super cool very walking trendy. through the darkness into us into a trendy spotlight yeah, um, it's it's very it's very aesthetic this trailer it, gets, it, it is gets, incredibly build, aesthetic build and, the uh, tone and the hype very well yeah, you remember we were just talking about cinematography. Uh, mm. That 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 shot right there is literally basically a for your consideration uh, yeah. thing. When it's like, yes, please nominate us for cinematography. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. Uh, so yeah, that's that, and it actually um, you know expands what this setting might be in the next shot because this one's then framed from behind, and it's Mando and uh, the child again continuing their their walk and their badassery. Um, <laughs> the little but- stroll at night. Yeah, um, but it's uh, it's sort of like an urban background. It's a, yep. it's a, it's, it seems to be like a sort of cityscape. A city the f- um, place of some sort. Yeah, the first thing I thought of is uh, Corellia or maybe or somewhere, somewhere like that. But So, uh, yeah, I- we've seen Corellia and Solo. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. Here's the thing about these, like, whether when we see a new planet or, or a place that we might have been to, it's like there's two things to consider. One, I'm pretty sure every single planet except Tatooine in the original season one of The Mandalorian was a new new planet. Like, I don't Indeed. think we'd, yes. we'd have been I to think... another single planet that was... No, that's very before. true. Tatooine was and, the only one we'd been to before. Yeah. 
And two, if it was a place like Corella, it could easily just be a place on the planet that we've never seen before. So yeah. again, I'm I'm all happy to speculate and guess, but like the thing is, one, we'll never truly know, and two, a lot of the time the filmmakers just want to make their own planets up because they've got more creative freedom and stuff. But uh, exactly, it could no. always be. Look, this is not Corellia. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> no, uh, but, but like, you know, your Star Wars mind being what it is, the moment you see a background like this, you're, that, that's what your mind rushes hey. to. Again, this could is obviously... Could be Magneto, could be Coruscant, could be... Exactly. What, what other urban planets do we have? Could be Taurus, could be... Um, uh, what is it? Uh, Iridonia. Iridonia is a cityscape planet. Boom. Um, yeah. And uh, this is the part where um, you basically hear the female um uh blacksmith mandalorian saying the things that she basically said um is, you know when yeah, is at this, the end when she's like you must reunite it with its own kind and then is this uh, the audio clip from the end of season one or is this yes. new lines no 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 they're the same lines okay um, yeah uh yeah so she says um you know you must reunite it with its own kind and Mandal- mandalorian says uh where this you must determine and that segues into the next shot you see which is basically bringing us back to Tatooine because we have the Razor Crest uh, you know zeroing down onto the rocky terrain below and a Tusken Raider and a Bantha are looking Bantha. up at them uh, yeah and I love uh, I, look I just love the Banthas and the Bantha uh, I can't looks wait so to see good. them yeah I know he looks awesome uh, yeah the Tusken Raider is obviously very inquisitive like oh what the hell is this he's marking my um, <laughs> but anyway uh, so yeah that's that but this this is the part that I'm really intrigued by because of the, we also see the Razor Crest coming down on a very icy planet. Mm. I've I've seen uh, it's actually the um, one of the first things I thought of because the only uh, two planets that are like you know icy in nature. Well, actually, I guess three. There's Hoth. There's the planet that Ahsoka and Rex crash landed on at the end of Clone Wars, which we don't know the name of, and Ilum. Well, uh, there's, technically, there's more. There's also the ones um, the planet. Uh, the moon, no, the planet we're orbiting. Uh, uh, oh right, Auto Plutonia. What? Auto Plutonia from the Clone Wars. Yes, yes, with the yeah. one with the, with the the towels. Yes. But like, there's lots of snow planets. But in terms of what we, if we think this is one we've seen, I think Hoth is very unlikely. No, I just don't think in it's terms possible. of there isn't of anyone there. That's the implied reason as to why the rebels show up. There is a, as you have written down here, a prevailing theory of it being Ilum, which I think out of all of them is probably most likely due to we're probably exploring the um, more mystical side of the Force and origins of the Jedi type uh, storylines, I would suspect, considering he's trying to find the origin of the Jedi with the child. Yeah. So an Ilum, as if, if viewers don't know, is... Um, a planet in, we've seen in the Clone Wars where they found a lot of kyber crystals there uh, and it's heavily implied uh, if not straight up confirmed but definitely at least heavily implied that the Ilum was taken to originally become to eventually become Starkiller Base yes like no that's followed that is, out and become Starkiller Base that is true um, in the Clone Wars uh, arc where the children of, it's uh, Children of the Force it's called where you get to see that small group of Padawans, Padawans that go with uh, Ahsoka to Gunji. collect to yeah Gunji the, the Wookiee Jedi um, yeah and uh Pedro and uh, uh, Katuni and whatever. Um, yeah, they go and uh, to to make their lightsabers because yeah. Ahsoka literally says, and this is why I definitely think it's Ilum, and that's the prevailing theory. Like you were just talking about, Michael, is that Ahsoka literally says there is no place more sacred or, or ancient to the Jedi before mm. they leave, and then and then they arrive on Ilum. And um, I think that Mando, being a complete outsider, not knowing who the Jedi are, if he's trying to figure figure 
you know, figure things out by people like, you know, investigating, talking to different people. I think it's only the, it's a very logical progression that his search would lead him to a place, um, uh, like Ilum. And that's also brings up an interesting question because you see later in the film that he's entering a cave. Oh, uh, anyway, so, sorry, we're, ju we're jumping ahead. We'll get to that when we get to that. But, uh... Well, just an interesting thing about Ilum to do with the timeline, because if it is Ilum, uh, under the assumption that we're assuming this is Ilum, uh, yeah. it implies at this point that it has not become a Starkiller base. So no. at some point between this and Force Awakens, it becomes Starkiller base. And we know that the Empire had plans to do Starkiller base or Ilum, because the mm -hmm. First Order used those plans for that the Empire was developing to then become Starkiller Base. So I guess at some point in the unknown regions, wherever Ilum is, they developed uh, it and and, uh, and created Starkiller Base, but it would have to have been after this point, presumably, considering yeah. if, no, if this is Ilum. You know, it, it is, it has since been confirmed that Starkiller Base was in fact Ilum. So it does get retrofitted to become Starkiller Base at some point. You know, the, the first season of The Mandalorian takes place nine years after Return of the Jedi. Again, we don't know what the time jump is for season two. But uh, yeah, let, I mean, if you could say that Starkiller Base was introduced, you know, five to ten years before the beginning of uh, The Force Awakens, then mm. that sort of like, you know, fits into it. It wouldn't have become Starkiller Base yet. But no. uh, given the mission that Mando is on in in the in the second season set out to him by the you know the female Mandalorian at the end of the first season you know I think out of all the planets that it could be that you know have icy terrains you know it makes sense that it's Ilum it could not be of course but uh, especially could always be a new location but it could uh, always be a new it, location you know this, Dave Filoni obviously enough, being in charge yeah this this makes enough sense that it's like with everything with the context going on with like the whole searching for the Jedi and everything like that it would make sense to be Ilum plus it would be exciting to see Ilum and in uh, live action that isn't Starkiller Base. Yeah, I mean, the only time that we've actually seen Ilum really is um, uh, uh, Clone Wars. I believe it shows up or is it at the very least referenced in Jedi Fallen Order. And uh, yeah, Starkiller Base, you're technically on Ilum, even though it's not really Ilum anymore. Um, but anyway, the next shot uh, basically shows, you know, Yoda, uh, baby, the baby Yoda on the ground. He doesn't seem very impressed. <laughs> and uh, Mando kneeling down to him. Now, something that is two things that are kind of intriguing to me is that his armor is very frosted over. So, um, it sort of makes sense. Like, you know, it's obviously, you know, very cold, but, yep. um, how long have they been there? And that is, uh, my, you know, you sort of maybe get a, uh, a glimpse into the answer given that the razor crest is right behind them and it doesn't seem to be in very good Nick. Like it seems no. kind of battered up. So, um, maybe this is where they crash landed on, uh, based on the fact that they are, uh, you know, adrift in space in the first shot. I don't really know. Um, yeah. yeah, because later, I mean, that oh, yeah. will actually give more context to a later shot that you see, which will might give explanation as to where they're crash landing from. But uh, we'll get back to that in a moment, in, in a minute. Um, the next shot basically shows Mando walking Just through a sort one of... One thing to do with the, with the crashing and all that. Yes, of course. Think... Yes. Majority of the time, I have I feel like these trailers are probably going to be early shot or early episodes in the film. Like yeah. especially with season one, like what are the trailers they showed? But like season one, I'm sorry, episode one or so early on. So mm -hmm. they they probably won't show too many, too much later in the in the half of the film, except for maybe like small snippets because they might not want to show. Like they'll give you like kind of early plot on in like the first couple of episodes, but maybe not show you earlier on. So mm -hmm. I, I would I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of these shots are in similar or like in the same episode as each other. Like if there's yeah. like from one area to another. 
but yeah. Well, like you know, if we're bas- if we're going off of uh, the structure that they seem to adopt in the first season, where he's basically going to a new planet every episode, mm-hmm. like you know, uh, it seems to be a um a sensible way to structure it. But uh, so the- so that might lend itself to the next shot, which is basically um set on. I mean, I like to think it's a new a new planet because it so shows Mando walking through a fisherman's port of some sort, yes. where people are like you know have boats in harbors and and stuff like that. Um, he's also got his jetpack on his back. Like, you know, I don't think it's very visible in the earlier shots. Like maybe he has so, it on his back. Maybe he doesn't. I don't know, but an you know. interesting thing about this location is again, not confirmed similar to Ilum, just assumptions based on what we're seeing and people just having fun guessing. But, uh, due to like it being kind of very like ocean based, like there's like clouds and sky and in later shots, we see like an actual proper ocean. And if you look around at these species walking around with them, it's almost entirely Quarren and I know and and Mon Calamari, which yeah. leads strongly into implying that this may be on Dak slash Mon Cala. In which case, one, I would be so excited for that. Yes. And two, that would that would be that kind of makes sense. Um, we do know of at least one city on Moncala. I think it's Moncala City that is above the ocean, with the rest of them generally being underground on under ocean uh, cities. But the, I mean, it's just a, it's not necessarily confirmed. But the more you look at the trailer with that assumption and look at the species surrounding them, boy, there are a lot of Quarren and uh, Moncalamari on that. On you're the right. Planet. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and I would love to go back to Moncala because I love that because I love Dax slash Moncala. You're absolutely right, um, mm. but this is something that is very very intriguing um, because this is the part where you see the rest where you hear the rest of the uh, Mandalorian blacksmith's um, dialogue from the last episode of season one, where she says, uh, um, "There are stories of eons, eons told between battles of Mandalore the Great and a, and a race of sorcerers called Jedi," and that leads us to the next shot where you basically get to see a, a you know a mistake mysterious sort of cloaked woman um you know sort of hiding in these you know uh, cargo you know holes uh which i which again we can um assume is the same setting as the previous shot in which case you know yes, the, the, the prevailing theory being duck slash moncolor now obviously uh, my very early morning brain when I saw the trailer, um, I was th- my mind was immediately rushing to, oh, we're gonna see Ahsoka, we're gonna uh, we're gonna see anything. So when I saw a female cloaked woman, when in my very early morning squinty eyes, I was like, is that Ahsoka? Is that is that Rosario Dawson? And honestly, when I first saw it, it did kind of look like Rosario Dawson to be perfectly honest. But then I I, I paused it, and I, I zoomed in it, I zoomed in on it. It's not her, and yes. I forget her name unfortunately. It's, but it uh, is Sasha a, Banks. Sasha Banks. Thank you. That's her name. Yeah. Um, yes, we don't know who she is playing. We now no, know we that she's. Know in the uh in the second season um i've seen a, a couple of theories my theory is that she is a um a it's kind of confusing what my idea is in he she's not a jedi but she's a um a follower of the teachings of the force in the same way Chirrut Imwe was yeah, maybe she ma- maybe she's not a jedi maybe she's not particularly force sensitive but she subscribes to the ideas of the force and the teachings of the jedi regardless of her um you know force sensitivity if she is able to use it if she's able to not use it not sure but i think that i'd really love to see someone like that um in the star wars universe pop up again because Chirrut Way was like, you know, one of my yeah. favorite parts of Rogue One. Okay. And that's actually something very interesting to me. Uh, sort of like, you know, Squibs and Harry Potter is that, you know, they don't have the power to use it, but yeah. they are very ingrained in that particular world. So right. it's, it's um, more than, it's like the force is like an entity and all that, but the Jedi mm-hmm. order 
is like yes with the whole like jedis as we know them but like jedi order is like a, it's, it's more of a religion like there are there are force users that aren't jedi and vice versa and all that but yeah. so it, it must be the other way around that there would be jedi or at least people who follow the jedi who aren't force users because this like they follow the teachings of it and the history and the culture of it so yeah it makes sense. you know yeah it's, you're absolutely that's absolutely true and like you know we Look, especially in canon, it's been expanded on in Legends, God knows how much. But we have never gotten really a confirmation or really a very good idea as to how soon after Return of the Jedi, Luke started up his own, you know, training temple. Like, yeah. like we don't know if at the time of uh, Mandalorian, you know, in some far off planet, Luke Skywalker has his own race of uh, of Jedi's, you know, learning to, you know, become knights. We don't know if that's the case, but um, if you want to assume it is, maybe this woman is kind of related to that. I saw a theory that she's Sabine, Sabine Wren from Rebels. Which, um, I mean, could be interesting, because we, we know we're going to get Ahsoka, and when we last saw Ahsoka, she was, like, going off with Sabine. So, yeah. it could be the case. Um, and also, I think the actress um, is of Asian-American descent also, so, and so yes. was Sabine, so it could make sense. Uh, but... You know, it, the Im- implication, especially with the voiceover, which may be misleading, is at least some association with the sorceresses of the Jedi or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I would agree. And um, look, whoever she is, very excited to see uh, what happens. Like, you know, it, it definitely implies that she has something to do with the Jedi because there's, there's look, there's, there's a reason why the blacksmiths of, of, you know, dialogue saying a group of sorcerers called Jedi is heard when you see this person. Yeah, like, it's very they're, intentional. They're not just doing it willy-nilly. There's a reason that they're playing that line It might be a here. fake out. But, it yeah. might be a fake out. I don't know. But, it, it's uh, the, certainly very intentional that, like, when she shows up is that line. Yeah, look, the idea that she, you know, is there and then someone passes, like, you know, her line of sight and then she's gone very much shows some, you know, you know, mysterious backstory. Uh, but yeah, then you hear, you know, Mando say, you expect me to find, you know, this group of alien, of, of, of enemy sorcerers, you know, the, the blacksmith says this is the way. And then you get into the, basically what I call the quick cutting part of the trailer, which is very apparent in basically all trailers now, because it seems as though regardless of it's for Star Wars, anything there's a part at the start where it's very you know slow paced you're getting a good look at the shots they're showing and Mm. then they'll show some title card that says this october and then over the next like 20 seconds you'll just be getting very quick snippets of things to come and that and this is the part of the trailer that you get into because the next shot you see is uh mando chartering a fishing boat yeah. Now, like you were saying, it's a lot of ocean, so it's it makes a very sense. Big ocean, yeah. it, 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 it makes sense that big oceans, lots of quarren, maybe it's Moncala, and almost <laughs> you know, it's it's very safe to assume that it could be a planet like that. But I would be very also... excited. We don't know, but it would be very exciting if yeah. it was. I exactly. love the idea that it's a fishing boat too. Like, what are they fishing? Are they fishing for like quarren? <laughs> like, are they going to find calamari out there and just? Yeah. Well, I don't actually, I mean, you might be more versed in it than I am. Like, you know, the native species to Moncala yeah. other than Moncala and the Quarren that, you know, serve as, well, the, you know, the delicacies of Moncala. You're right. Like, um, you know. Well, I guess the only view we've had of it in canon so far would be in the Clone Wars TV show. Yeah. Uh, 
as to whether they were like, I, I, I assume there might be fish. I, I don't really know. I haven't, I haven't looked too much. After <laughs> it's an one, ocean. There has to I be fish. Have, I will have to study the uh, episodes in, in leading up to it, so I can learn everything about the ecology of the planet or whatnot. Yeah. Look, um, we know, but, we know that we yeah. know that we know that fish are a thing in Star Wars. Like, yes. St- Luke literally carries a giant ass fish that's native to Arcto in Last Jedi over his shoulder, so they exist, yeah. especially in large ocean ocean landscapes like this. But it also begs the question why Mando is chartering a fishing boat in general because uh, where's the razor crest <laughs> like so uh, i'm thinking that you know it's either it's either damaged it's out of use what have you and uh, he's needing to find another source of transportation or so... unknown theory he's got a side gig as a fisherman he's just that's just how he... <laughs> yeah maybe maybe this yeah. is how to find him i don't know the bounty hunter work is dried up yeah um, look, I'm not sure if Moncala has a planetary body, like or like a large gas giant that orbits that that, that they orbit. I'm not sure, but if we mm. wanted to assume that in that first shot where you see the Razor the Razor yeah, Crest all, all burnt up, maybe that blue planet is the Mon is Moncala that he's landing on, and the reason yeah. that he does he's chartering this fishing boat is because the Razor Crest is is currently out of out of commission, and maybe I he's left it because uh, yeah, it's, it's oh sorry. It might be the same setting as, uh, you know, my, the same premise, sorry, of uh, that scene that we saw, that uh, episode that we saw in Tatooine in the first season where, you know, the, the Razor Crest is damaged, so he leaves it with this mechanic, it's getting fixed, and while he's doing that, he goes off for the rest of the episode, in which case, um, you know, chartering a fishing boat and uh, doing whatever he's doing. So, yeah, who knows? Yeah, I think a little, then... we know a little little enough of Mon Cala, but it could easily be that we has a just China and we're learning about that. And as you said, yeah, it's a blue planet. Makes sense that it could be the ocean planet as shown before, and it would explain why ships damaged that way. He might be needing to do work for someone else or taking some other form of transport to get around. So that could yeah, easily... or just like you know, earning a little bit of money so he can pay for the Razor Crest's repairs, like he did last yep. time. I, I really don't know. But the thing is, the next shot that we get of him is a much closer up image of this boat. Mm. Uh, again, Quarren, the Quarren, a Quarren is, uh, you know, very let's, exciting. Let's say it's the captain of the ship, whatever. Uh, you're right. It is a Quarren and that is, you know, it, it leads to, you know, just, you know, it, it just encourages the theory that this is Moncala. Uh, and another thing that encourages it is when you look over the side, there is not a land mass in sight. It's no. all ocean. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I, I love it. Cause I mean, and it's, it's the Quarren designs too. Like we got, I think we got one Quarren or, or at least ma- one major one in the first season where it gets cut in half in the first episode, like the first scene, but yeah. it's just so exciting to see so many, uh, species we've already seen before like the, later on um in the trailer there are more that we'll talk about but seeing so yeah. many quarren around and they've got like because in in the clone wars tv show the quarren were kind of designed more thinly like they were like uh the tendrils and stuff were a lot more a lot thinner in yeah you're right I'm, I'm getting into my nerdy aspect here but the way we see quarren here is a lot closer to how they appear in return of the jedi which makes sense because they have to be done in person so they're a lot generally a lot yeah. more thicker and a, a lot, a lot more tenderly it's cool i love them i love the quarren yeah, no, I think you're right. You know, I think that is definitely what could be going on here, and that's why I'm very excited to see uh, if it is Moncala. I will lose my mind because the because um I know you love the Quarren, Michael Moncala, but the Moncalamari are personally my favorite alien species in Star Wars. So if that's we get so to see good. your favorite's the Moncalamari, my favorite's the Quarren. <laughs> yeah, I know it's uh, it's it's <laughs> great. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we'll get into the next shot here. It's actually a collection of shots, and it's safe to assume that these are, you know, shots are happening uh, chronologically. 
um, basically what's happening here is we get to see the Razorcrest being escorted by two X-Wing fighters. Now, um, we know as of the first season that the X-Wings are used by um, uh, pilots for the New Republic. Uh, they're, they're sort of used as the patrol patrol ships. Um, so, yeah, that, that's interesting. But the more interesting thing that I have he that uh, actually happens in the next shot is um, it's, Mando it's, it's from Mando's perspective. He's looking out to the X-Wing itself. Um, and the X-Wing is actually locking its S-Files in attack position. So obviously yeah. they are about to engage in a little fight with whoever is attacking them. Um, and the next shot itself uh, shows the Razorcrest and X-Wings uh, speeding through an assortment of clouds. So um, again, and in this shot itself, the X-Wings still have their S-Files in attack position. In position. So um, we could safely assume that this is a, a battle sequence of some kind, like a dogfight. Mm. Um, I was... I, Originally, I thought that because this is showing a sort of space battle, this is when the Mandal this is when uh, the Razor Crest gets damaged and then sets up the first shot we see. Perhaps. But um, but if you wanted to safely assume that the next shot right after where they're going through the clouds happens in this particular scene, obviously the the Razor Crest is in perfect shape. So you know it it, it creates um uh you know two mindsets i suppose but yeah um, i think you got to do have to be careful there's probably so many fake outs or like edits together to make it seem like you so you can't actually get what's going on but yeah like even in the sense where you don't necessarily know for sure if the x-wings are like fighting helping the mandalorian like whoever's coming across or maybe they're like catching up to him trying to get him to stop and he's like no i won't stop and then they're going to attack position to like fight him who knows like at this point we're only seeing what's happening like in brief snippets of things so yeah, you're right. And, like, you know, because in this shot where he's going through the clouds, like, Razor Crest, like, zooms through and the X-Wings follow him very quickly. It's where, like, you know, you can't be sure as to whether or not they are either with him or chasing him. Mm. But seeing as they're escorting him in the shot right after, it's safe to assume that they're just, like, you know, flying through the clouds together. But, you know, I don't know. It could be, it could go either way. They could be chasing him. I'm, I'm not sure. Um... Or maybe that this is like a sort of thing where, you know, Mando is just flying through space and then these X-Wings are on either side of him because they're trying to box him in. Maybe they're trying to, uh, you know, sort of, um, I don't know, telling him to like, this is a restricted area, please land yeah. your vessel immediately or whatever. And then yeah, he refuses and, that, and that's yeah. and that's why the S-Foils uh, are being locked in attack position because they're attacking him. I, I, I honestly don't know. That's the um, thing. There's only so much we can intuitively guess yeah. from what we're seeing it could go on. We're going to have to wait and see. We could. We, exactly. We do have to just wait and see. Um, the next shot here. Now, this is interesting because mm. it shows Mando back on Tatooine with a speeder. This is uh, basically an extension of that first promo image that we got, which showed Mando in Tatooine yes. on a speeder. Um, now, I've seen this all over YouTube for the last couple of days and all over, you know, a bunch of fan sites since the trailer dropped. If you zoom in closely, it seems as though not only is Mando wearing his own jetpack, but he seems to have a jetpack on the back colored in sort of like greenish, dark Ooh. blues and oranges. Also, uh, I mean, just flat out say it, it looks like Boba Fett's jetpack. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, the fact he's back on Tatooine, which is where the last like hint, like, ooh, is it Boba Fett? Is it not? Yeah. There's a jetpack there. I think at this point, it's heavily implied that we're going to be getting Boba Fett in this season when he goes back to Tatooine, yeah. which would be pretty exciting. Um, yeah. I mean, look, I, I think I mentioned this like ages ago, but uh, a while ago when Melbourne Comic-Con was still on, <laughs> um, I was going to go as Boba Fett. 
and I was making his jetpack, which meant that I had to closely study his jetpack and Google images and stuff like that. You've got experience. You know all of the fine details. Exactly. And just looking at it, uh, yes, that's his jetpack. <laughs> and the fact that he's on, on Tatooine, it all makes sense. Uh, to which I say, ah, Boba Fett! Uh, but yeah. yeah, anyway, um, if he is coming back, that's really, really exciting. Um, yeah, it's interesting. What part will Boba Fett play in this story? I honestly don't know. Um, so yeah, there you go. Um, it, it seems, uh, oh, okay, look. Boba Fett obviously went into the Salak pit that's located in the Dune Sea, where it's very much just the rolling hills of pure sand. But in this area, it's very rocky, much more, uh, much more uh, like the um, the Junlan wastes and uh, stuff like that. That territory of Tatooine. So that's that's interesting. Like you know, where is he picking up this jetpack? But then again, he's traveling very fast, so he's just traversing you know a lot of land very quickly. Um. Anyway, let's just get into the next shot, I suppose, which yep. actually shows Cara Dune and Grief Karga. They're coming back. Yes. Um, uh, on Navarro. Yeah, on Navarro. And something that I immediately noticed is that Navarro looks a lot better. <laughs> um, no longer I... a war whale or whatever. Exactly. <laughs> it's, a lot... it's a lot... Um, well, it's a lot sunnier. It's a lot clearer. Um, which makes me believe that after the big uh, skirmish that they had at the, op- at the closing of uh, the last season, that uh, the Empire's or whatever's left of the Empire's presence on Navarro has... Um, has uh, ceased and it's basically become what you would like to think of as a, of as a free world because not only um, is is that possible, but not only is it lighter in the background, you can see all those colourful tarps, there are people walking around. It just seems like a better environment overall, which leads me to think that the Empire is no longer there. But, you know, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, we... Uh, at the time that we see them uh, in season one, it's it's an imperial remnants, and they're clearly they're not in control necessarily of the whole thing because they're in like hiding. They're in like a, uh, a like a, a warehouse facility. Like, there's a whole like um, a guard to the door to keep it there. So they clearly aren't in like necessarily full control of the system. And yeah. especially after how the Mandalorian kind of took them all down, I wouldn't be surprised. Then again, Moff Gideon does show up at the end, so. I think more yeah. the implying he's, he's not necessarily there to like take control back of Navarro or, or like control like that. He's almost definitely just there for the child. Like that's what they want. Yeah, so, true. I, I would have to agree I with think you there because if he's left, then they probably the Empire's probably given up on the system. They probably don't care as much. Yeah, well it's not only it's not only uh let's see, um uh you know, what's his name? Uh, Moff Gideon, but also uh Werner Herzog's character. The uh, you know the guy yeah. who was like I would like to see the baby. Uh, he's <laughs> uh, he's dead. He's dead. And uh, obviously he had he was basically what you would like to think of as the um, the the head honcho in terms of the empire's presence in that little Navarro city. Um, so you know if he's dead, there's probably uh, much uh, slimmer of reasons for the Empire to be there at all. But uh, speaking of the Empire, that's where the next shots take us because you get to see a large landing pad of these folding ties that Moff Gideon's entrance in Episode 7 made famous. Um, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. not actually sure where this is because it looks to be a very different landscape. Yeah, um, could than be Navarro. anywhere. It's, it could, it so could the be implication... Navarro, but... Uh, yeah. Is the implication that these folding ties are specific to Moff Gideon, or or like that they are a a, a, brand, a newer version of ties post original trilogy era? Like if they've I developed think they must stuff? be because they definitely didn't do it in the original trilogy era. You no, got to didn't do that. you yeah. got to see many Tie Fighters parked <laughs> in the Death Star, and none of them are folded. Um, no. And uh, I th- 
I mean, yeah, not even they weren't even folded for the first order. They were yeah. They were, um, Force Awakens, they, they're back to normal. So I yeah. think more likely than then, this is just how ties are now. They probably are a special group owned by Moff Gideon's Imperial Remnants. I feel like he's yeah. probably he probably is like really pedantic. He doesn't like it when they park like upright. He made him he, he made a special request to the engineers yeah. to make them fold, and they're like, "But sir, they weren't designed to do that. They're like solar panel type things." It's like I don't care. Make them fold. <laughs> <laughs> uh... <laughs> I would love to see that as like a spoofy Star Wars show. Yeah. Like, but, 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 sir, they, they aren't supposed to fall. Do not question my genius. Uh, <laughs> yes, um, I am German now and I know what is happening. I would like to see the baby. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> no, I, I saw, uh, did you see like all those memes before the trailer dropped when it was her, when a Herzog saying, I would like to see the trailer. <laughs> oh, that's um, so good. No, but anyway, know. yeah, I'm not sure if this is Navarro. Again, Navarro did have a very like volcanic rock like, yeah. you know uh, volcanic rock sort of landscape but it also does lend itself to maybe being the landscape that you see in the next shot because after you get to see a bunch of stormtroopers running down an imperial installation you know hallway you get to uh, see a bunch of scout troopers doing a super sick like yeah jump off of like a huge cliff um, on on speeders and it looks to be a very like you know rocky terrain they're jumping down into this really ashy rock terrain like you know the only time the only really instance that i can think of with a landscape like that is either sullust or vancor vancor yeah. is when is where the gundarks are in um I, in in clone wars yes um, i think it could i mean the way it's, it's implying like i i think it could easily just be like parts of navarro that, like the more volcanic areas that we did see like maybe there's an imperial installation there as you say um that could just be where they're setting up as base or it could easily be a new location but either way it's very interesting i love the terrain that we're seeing and especially like the way the scout troopers look and all these like action set pieces here it's gonna be so exciting with all the like going around with their speeders i love speeders i i, I speeders are one of my yeah. favorite parts of Star Wars. Well, that's, that, that, that's that's something that you i mean you sort of got to see in season one but you sort of didn't is a speeder bike chase yeah because you got because you got to see um those two scout troopers chasing after quill on his um on uh his mm-hmm. uh uh blurg uh I, I was blanking on the blur on the name of the blurgs i almost called them dobacks i'm like no that's not the, oh. that's not the right species right. uh yeah so you didn't get to see a very like return of the jedi-esque speeder bike chase and i do love like you were just talking about michael speeder bikes and i think that yeah. if you get to see an instance like that that'd be a lot of fun um, because one of the next shots actually shows Mando taking off with his uh, the rising Fe- the art of the rising phoenix using his jetpack on a very similar looking uh, landscape, which is like you mm. know dark rocky you know terrain and a, the, yeah. a very similar looking ravine, which is interesting. Um, so we're gonna get some jetpack Mando, which is cool. Yeah. It's interesting though, like this shot and especially the the speeder bike shot. It like this is probably more like the CGI heavy parts of the show because I feel like a lot of these parts you can't really do with just a small kind of circular uh, LED room or whatever it is that the previous uh, a lot of shots have been done. Yeah, but, you're, uh, right. it's you're definitely more CGI scene, heavy you're scene. definitely uh, correct there. Now the next shot is intriguing because it actually shows Mando caged up in a very um, you know, claustrophobic cage with water seeming to slowly rise. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would like to assume that maybe this is like an undercarriage of that same boat that we saw him on, on the oceanic planet, um, yeah. which would mean that maybe the quorum locked him up, which is probably not, 
you know, <laughs> it's it's not the nicest thing to think of for a big fan of the Quran like yourself, Michael. But uh, uh, it wouldn't be outside of their character. No, that's true. They're, they're known they're known to not be the most hospitable people in the, uh, in the Star Wars universe. Depends, depends who you, depends who you're talking to. No Sarai was pretty cool. I like. No Sarai was pretty cool. Exactly. That's another thing. I wonder if Lee Cha is still the king of uh, of Moncala at the time of the um he, at the time of the New Republic. But he is in the original trilogy because yeah. there's a, a comic series where where I think Vader visits uh Moncala or something, and and he is the king at that point. As to whether he still is by the end and by the time of the Mandalorian TV show, no idea. Yeah, we might I mean, get a was, mention of it. We, I doubt we'll see it, but we might get a mention of it. If we did get to see it, I would lose my mind. But uh, I'm, yeah, I'm still yeah. waiting for a Quarren uh, leadership because it's been ages. I mean, yeah, where's that Quarren <laughs> representation in the uh, constitutional monarchy rule? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I mean, look, Lee Char was very young uh, when he took the throne. But anyway, we're getting so off track. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I love it. Yeah, uh, we could assume that's the case. Like, listen, um, we do know that on the boat, he has the child with him. And something that's become um, very apparent in certain shots of the trailer, especially the ones that we're about to start talking about, is that people are still hunting for the child. Yeah. Whether, the, whether, they be, uh, whether they're being enlisted by Moff Gideon, like, you know, privately contracted bounty hunters that are trying to kill Mando and take the child... Like, let's say, hypothetically, that these Quarren that he's chartered a boat with are these people who have sort of been hired to kill him and take the child. Like, you know, maybe that... Because the child is on the boat with him. Maybe they're trying to take the child and then they lock up Mando and then he's trying to get out. I really don't know. And maybe that'll be up to Baby Yoda to try and get him out because, obviously, we know him to be extremely powerful with the Force. So... Yeah, um, Disney because... love. Yeah, sorry, I'd say Disney. If they, if there is anyone that's gonna like betray him, like later on, I feel like Disney loves making the Quarren be the ones to do that. <laughs> I feel yeah, like, especially over like Moncala, it's probably gonna be like, oh yeah, we'll work there. And it's like, if it turns out like they've been like got a second deal, like they've been paid more to instead steal the child, a hundred percent Disney's gonna make the Quarren the ones to do that. No way would they ever make the, <laughs> yeah, uh, their babies, true. the uh, Moncalamari, do it. Yeah, no, I I would agree. Um. No, you're absolutely right. If someone saw like a a Mon Color bounty hunter or something like that, like someone who's doing the wrong thing, they'd be like, "How dare you!" Um, but the next shot is interesting because it goes back to this sort of dark cityscape, dark urban landscape that we were talking about in the second shot of the trailer, and it shows Mando uh, stringing someone up, um, you know, upside mm. down up against like a lamppost or something like that. Honestly, I would, I would. Um, Okay, like, you know, this is my theory, but I like to think that this sort of, like, dark walking, like, badasses Saturday Night <laughs> Fever walk down a, down a dark street um, is the one of the opening shots of the first episode. And then he's sort of, like, you know, marching into this new area, and then um, someone like this who, you know, is trying to attack them is either trying to kill Mando, take the child for himself, and then that enacts this fight sequence they're about to see that ends in him being strung up on this lamppost and... I don't know, maybe he's, you know, he, he just, like, walks away from him and leaves him there, and then you get the opening credits for the first episode. I think that's, you know, yeah. a reasonable assumption, but I could be extre- I could be completely wrong. Um, I'm just, you know, providing some of my own context of the trailer. Um, but, yeah, hey, I honestly don't know. That's the fun of it. That's, that's the fun. We like to get, make our guesses and assumptions, but pretty much 99% what what we say is just completely, like, we're just guessing based on what we're seeing and could be completely not true. So we're all exactly. having fun here. Very, Remember, very true. 15 things you've missed. Have you have you caught them all? Have you heard everything <laughs> you've said that you've missed so far? You've got to be counting at home. Uh, all right, moving right past that, we have the next shot <laughs> of... Uh... <laughs> 
Um, now, this leads back to the Illum idea that we were talking about, and we're actually nearly to the end of the trailer. Um, you not only start to hear a, a voice saying, this is no place for a child, and then Mando replies to whoever is talking, uh, wherever I go, he goes, which shows Mando's, you know, just, you know strong strong care for the yeah. child and how he and how much he cares for him which is one of the most endearing parts of mando's character this um uh you know bounty hunter who's who can be ruthless but at the same time he's got a heart of gold but uh anyway we see him entering a cave now could this be the kyber crystal cave yes are we sure of it no um I would it like looks to... I mean, the way that the formations look. I I wouldn't be surprised. This is probably him going into the cave to find himself a little baby Yoda kyber crystal. Yeah, no, that'd be interesting. And look, the re the, the reason I'm more intrigued about it is like you know what will he find inside? Because yeah, um, it, it seems as though uh, the child of the the you know child of the Force arc in Clone Wars made it clear that you're that only that you, you only can find a crystal if it's meant for you. And Mando, yeah. you know, he, Mando's not a Jedi, so I'm not sure if the Kyber crystals, wherever they may be, will be able to stick out to him. What's more interesting to me is maybe uh, not only what he will find in there, but who he finds in there. Because I've yeah. started, to, because I've started to hear theories that this is where Ahsoka is hiding, you know, or this is where she's come to meditate. Because we did see her enter a um a Sith temple after her fight with Vader in rebels, you know, maybe she's gone to, um, she's trying to find the, the sacred parts of the, uh, the temple. But, um, another thing that, you know, obviously is apparent about Ahsoka's character at this time in the star Wars chronology is around this time, she and Sabine are looking for Ezra Bridger. So, mm. um, you can start to think, oh, okay, you know, he's a Jedi, or at least a Jedi that he became at the very end of Rebels. Where would he go? Where would any Jedi go if they were trying to find, um, uh, you know, Solace? Uh, you know, an ancient, sacred place to the Jedi, like the Kyber Crystal Cave on Ilum. So I really don't know, but it could go either yeah. way. Yeah, I think um, the thing you have to keep in mind is how, how the amount in which this show will both borrow, but also, like, reference previous material. Like, we know Ahsoka's in it, so we know at very least it's like, oh, Ahsoka's from Clone Wars, Ahsoka's in this. With, like, Ezra and, like, Sabine and, like, Rebels, I feel like the chances of them, like, showing up are slim, but especially continuing the story of Rebels would be next to none. Just in terms of, you, can, you know, we need to know who the target audience for The Mandalorian is. It's going to be people who watch the films and, like, maybe come to the come to the TV show as well because they enjoy it. I've, I doubt they would be targeting an audience of people who would, like, a view of implying you have need to watch Rebels to get the full story as well. So in terms of, like, maybe they're there to, like, be there for the look for Ezra, maybe like a, a behind the scene or like a, a like a backstory vision as to why they're there but like i doubt i doubt that would be a major plot point but but certainly i could understand that soka could be on ilum as like that's how we encounter her because it's a very force sensitive place especially if she's looking more into history of force or something like that yeah oh god i i cannot even begin to describe what my more my reaction would be if he went into that cave and found Ahsoka. I would lose my mind. Mm. Um, it, it'd be interesting if they did it in the same in a in a very similar way to how Savage Press found Darth Maul on that in that cave. Like he's like you know stumbling through these like you know tight passageways of this cave, and then you, and then you just get to see a figure like dash past the camera, like you know behind yeah. Mando or something like that, and you know or something like that, and it becomes. And she, you know, starts to go get closer and closer and closer. And then, like, you know, she comes up behind him, 
tackles him, whatever, and she says, who are you? And you realize it's Ahsoka. I'd be like, oh my god, this That'd is awesome. Um, Can't wait. Can't wait for when Ahsoka shows up. Yeah. And something that's just really great to see, because it's one of my favorite things, and obviously it's going to be a very aww moment, is is um how Mando's just cradling Baby Yoda in his arms. Like, again, yeah. it, just go, it just goes back to this idea of why I love Mando so much, is that he's ruthless when he wants to be, but he's also <laughs> incredibly compassionate, has a heart of yeah. gold, which is something that it's- I... That's something that I relate to more than Mando. Yeah, that, that's something that I really love about Mando's character because it's something that we actually haven't seen from a bounty hunter esque character like him. So yeah. Well, I do a little bit. We get Django Fett being a dad. So true, but he wasn't allowed. He, I guess, he just wasn't around for long enough for us to no. really see that. But yeah, yeah. I'm um, saying one well, thing. We to won't do with be the... seeing him again. No, no, we <laughs> won't we'll be have... seeing Django Fett again. And we'll <laughs> have a couple of surprises for him. Get him, Dad! Get him! <laughs> get him, Dad! Get him! Fire! <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's oh. Again, um, um, I watch Attack of the Clones very regularly. Uh, it's <laughs> very fun. Good film. Um, um, yeah, so one thing to do with like Baby Yoda and stuff, we were saying the way we see Ilum in the Clone Wars is like the way that the, each of the Jedi younglings go there and they go through their own little journey or own arc where they have to defeat something and their own like their own weakness of some sort to find their own Jedi crystal. Like we, while yes, Mandalorian isn't what that and Baby Yoda is there, he is also a Yoda species, which we know is just incredibly force sensitive, just right off the bat for some reason. And yeah. we don't really know how significant they are to the force. Like we might learn that they are maybe a Jedi or force specific species some, some way. And so the trials or whatever, the way that they procure the crystal could be very different for them and may like that may Mandalorian may be able to, uh, participate in in some form, whether it's just bringing Baby Yoda along, or like kind of like picking him up and trying to like push him in the right direction. Like he like waddles off, he like puts him back on the track or something. <laughs> yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Maybe maybe the Yoda species is native to Ilum. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that um, would be an interesting twist. It would actually make a lot of sense see, as well. But we do see Yoda on the on the Ilum arc, and yeah, and become... he's he's there before any of them. Like yeah, he was he, he he wasn't on the ship with them. He was waiting for them. No, he he was there. He's the Well, because it's interesting. I used to think, oh yeah, they were uh, Yoda must be native to Dagobah because I, I don't know. I didn't really think too much, but I think the implication is no, he's not native to Dagobah. He just chose an out of the way, like a very very out of the way planet that just happens to be also very sensitive in the Force and have very strong Force connections there. But like. I mean, Yoda, while he seems comfortable on Ilum, I doubt that's his natural habitat. So maybe he is from yeah. a, a more crystal planet like Ilum. That would be really interesting. I like that theory. I like it, Jack. That's that's uh, that's the theory <laughs> of the day. Theory of the day, Jack. Awesome. Um, now, the next scene, like we were talking about earlier, actually provides some implication and some further context to some of the previous shots. Because we get to see a ship burning up as it enters the atmosphere. And it's l- and a, I like to think it's the Razor Crest because you get yeah. to see a very... There's very clearly a like a cylindrical thruster out like you know on the side with yeah. the large bulk of the ship um, you know, closer into that. The way so, you put the frame here, it's, it's definitely the Razor Crest. It is it. definitely the Razor Crest. Yeah. So I think that it makes a lot of sense that this is a continuation from the very first shot in the trailer when you get to see it drifting through Definitely. space yeah. um he's and that it is crashing crash landing or at least burning up on the atmosphere in the atmosphere of that tiny blue planet that it's heading towards whether mm-hmm. that be the oceanic planet that we've seen in previous shots whether it be this icy cave planet we don't know we all we know is that it's blue in color which implicates that those two planets are you know either of the ones that he's crash landing on i really don't know yeah, seeing like- it Seeing as that shot that we had previously shows 
the Razor Crest downed and sort of damaged with Mando and the child standing beside it. You know, you could you could begin to postulate that, that it's the icy planet that he's crash landing on, but I honestly really don't know. Maybe it's because he's been shot down by those X-Wings that we were just talking about. I There's so yeah. many different ideas. What's um, yeah. Now, the previous dialogue that we were just talking about, and at this point in the trailer, you get to see like only five seconds earlier when he says, this is no place for a child. You realize that it is actually a Cyclops <laughs> who is saying yeah. these words. And uh, it, it is um, an Abyssin is the species. Yeah, you, you actually get to see the species um, in the very first Star Wars film because a... Yeah. Uh, what's, the species, what's the species called, Michael? Sorry? Uh, Abyssin. Yeah, Abyssin is actually the very first of the aliens to react to um, uh, Cornelius Evazan pulling out his blaster in Mos Eisley uh, Cantina. Um, it's a very quick shot, but uh, you do get to see it. It's a Cyclops and uh, clearly a member of this species. Um, but Yeah, it's cool. Stuff- I love it when we get to see more obscure species come back in interesting ways, like the Devarians that we saw in Rebels or the Towels that we see in Clone Wars or the Abyssin we see here. It's really it's yeah. a lot of fun. And we're going to get to see Quarren. We're going to yeah. we got to, we got to see members of Salacious Crumb species in the first season. This like is the Brack that we get to see later on uh, in the trailer. Which is yes, fun. and we'll get to that very soon. Um, yeah, uh, look, it's something that I actually thought of in the uh, the sequels is that you really get to see any yep. of the species that you that became so famous in the original trilogy and the prequels. Yeah. And that's something that I wish we got to see more it's, of. Like, it's where a bit are of the a mon- Like, I like. I like the sequels and a lot of the species they put in the prequels, so sequels for the first time, I really enjoy what they look like, but there's like next to none, aside from Nine Numb, like Chewbacca and um, Monka and like Admiral Akbar. aside from those three, almost every single other alien species that we see in the sequel trilogy is new, which I, know. Which I is, mean... Which- which was really surprising, honestly. Like, where are the Twi'leks? Where are yeah, the other Moncala? Exactly. No Twi'leks, no Rodians, no um, Koran, no Zabrak, no... Like, none of them. Um, no, no, uh, no. We, it is interesting. Like, it makes sense in a production design aspect where they want to make their own things. But, like, in terms of a lore aspect, it's just like, oh, at this point in time, suddenly all these species appeared and none of the old ones did. So I do yeah. like how in The Mandalorian... Like, they still get to design their own new aliens and design their own new stuff, but they bring back the old aliens that people love. But also, they make them look so fresh and good-looking. Like, the man, the, the Quarren that we see in Season 1, it's a bit more CGI-looking, but it's so cool, and it's so unique to the it other Quarren. So that we've... It yeah. looks so real. It looks so real. It's so different to Quarrens we've seen in previous Star Wars material. I love it. So I, I'm definitely excited about that. Yeah, they are so clearly not human, but at the same time, they look so real, and that and, yeah. that and that also just lends itself to how well it would be, how good it would be to actually work with this prosthetic and these actors, like you know, exactly. having to play off of the reactions of these people because they're there, they're there on set. Um, What's well, the thing some, with Baby Yoda? Is he he is con- so convincing? He's on there. Yeah. On set. And uh, something that you were just talking about with uh, the old um, classic species coming back is something that you get in this next scene because yes. like we were just talking about Mando is entering a sort of fight club and who is in the ring? Two Gamorrean guards. But they are much skinnier than normal. They're like little um, skinny Gamorreans. It's great. I know. Well, that's the thing is that they never really explained if... Um, in when you get to see them in Return of the Jedi, where they're basically the bouncers of Jabba the Hutt's, you know, hut. Uh, not yeah. hut. Um, you know, Jabba the Hutt's little hut. Yeah, um, Jabba the Hutt's uh, palace. palace. They're basically the bouncers that at, at the front door. Um, yeah. But obviously, I mean, look, not to be crude, but uh, you know, they're they're they're, they're quite hey. pudgy. They're quite. Jabba obtuse. feeds his people well. He he I knows know. how to do it. 
But that's the thing is that like, you know, now that we've seen this, is that how they appear normally or? It's, it's different from person to person. With yeah. These guys, they might just be, you know, they might just be a little bit starved in this ring. Maybe they're not good fighters. Or maybe, you know, they've just put a lot of work into losing weight. It's <laughs> Yeah. Because well, we do get to see that... a bit of a chunkier Trandoshan in the Clone Wars with the... Uh, that is true. Garnak, I think. Oh, wow. Is that his name? If I got um, it right. Ganact. Ganact. Gar... Uh, it's an act, yeah. Um, well, that's the thing is that, like, you know, I started to think about the the contextual reasons why the Gamorrean guards might be here, and here's my theory: is that obviously they were most prevalent and seen in um in, in, Jab- no. in Jabba's palace, and they were used as his guards. But after Jabba the Hutt dies, and after his sail barge blows up, and basically that would have meant that his palace was. Um, abandoned or gone under new management, uh, the Gamorrean guards would have been, well, unemployed. <laughs> they would have been unemployed, homeless, whatever. And, you know, if that means that they got sold into a life of, um, uh, you know, fighters and gladiators, that's uh, an interesting thing to think about. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not really sure why they could be fighting each other. I, I, clearly, it's for the sick amusement of the people that are watching, but yeah. I honestly don't know. Yeah, I, 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 I do get it right. There was one called Garnak, and then there's Garnacked. Which is oh, different, I see. Cool. Yeah, I think it's interesting because Frutch always seen Gamorians like in terms of especially in like legends and stuff as well as the shape and style that we see them in Jabba's palace. But I do think it's really interesting that like that we do get like them, but like explored in a different way and like not necessarily on Tatooine, but like on this planet wherever we are now, or like in different forms we've seen them before. But I mean, they're still like of course like fighting with like their weapons and stuff. It's cool. I do like it. I'm I I, I love that we we get into these Gamorreans in interesting ways. Although you yeah. you have uh, Gamorrean guards written here. I don't know if they're guards. They're Gamorrean gladi- gladiators. Oh, that's Gotta so true. That literary. I've written under the, the uh, I've written here. under the screenshot screenshot. Um, uh, Gamorrean guards fighting. But um, mm. they're not. But because I'm so used to seeing them as Gamorrean guards, I just do that automatically. They're not even guards. They're just Gamorrean. Me- they're members of the Gamorrean species. Ah, they've um, got to keep the alliteration. Gamorrean gladiators. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, continuing on from that sort of dialogue that you hear about ten seconds earlier, when he see- when you hear this is no place for a child. Wherever I goes, he wherever I go, he goes. It it um he's clearly talking to this Cyclops when he's, when he says all this, because, uh, that sort of like, you know, exchange is completed when the Cyclops says, so I've heard. And as he says this in the next shot, we see a group of, um, of, of armed men, uh, point their blasters at Mando. Now I, I like to think that like we were just talking about with maybe what's happening on that boat with the Quarren, these are bounty hunters or members of the of the guild or um you know contracted people that have been assigned by Moff Gideon to track down Mando, kill him and take the child. I don't know, but uh, it could go either way and clearly the the Cyclops is on their side because he scowls at Mando as the guns are pointed at him and he does nothing to stop it. So, you know, that's, you know, the prevailing theory. And the funny thing that basically serves as like the 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 stamp on the trailer that's meant to sort of like get a reaction and make you laugh is the fact that as soon yeah, as these guns the are pointed, yeah, uh, you get to see Mando activate his whistling birds that we saw absolutely kick ass in the first season, and I can't wait for them to come back. Um, yeah, Yoda, uh, baby Yoda, sees them. He quickly thinks, yeah, I'm too cute for this violence, and closes the hut, and <laughs> closes closes the pod, and uh, you know just chills while the while the screen fades to black, and you hear all of the you know violent commotion going on in the background. So it's basically told from Yoda's perspective. He's in complete darkness as the fighting goes on. 
And yeah, then... I think it's it's definitely the major like comedy part of the trailer that you take away from it's great yeah i've already seen the memes pop up for this particular shot where it's like me avoiding my problems and it's yoda closing the pod (laughs) but um the next shot that you see like you were just talking about michael with the uh with the zabrak clearly after yoda maybe yoda closes this pod um some real fighting goes down because this fight club area that's clearly heavily packed and it's got a lot of people there um is completely empty by the time you get to see something again when Mando, you know, stabs this Zabrak with a weapon, spear, yep. what have you. Like, uh, in the background, it's sure. a lot... There, there's much fewer people. The room is practically empty. And what people you do see are basically just lying comatose on the ground. So, you know... Yeah, he probably took a bunch of them out and then anyone who wasn't f- actively fighting him probably ran off because there's a scary Mandalorian just killing people. So, I think yeah. sense. Um, and yeah, after he stabs this Zabrak, he falls to the ground and we hear the signature catchphrase of Mandalorian as it zooms in on his face and he says, this is the way, um, it serves as the, the the closing for the trailer. It sends goosebumps down my spine every time I've Mm. seen the trailer a couple times now and it does it every time because this is the way it's just such a cool, um, exactly. Uh, 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 what do you call it? Mantra for the Mandalorian. Exactly. I love. This, I love this. It's become like the catchphrase slash mantra of the show. It's, it's it's such a good thing, and I love how we're exploring this Mandalorian culture. And yes, maybe it's different to how we've seen in the past, but it's so interesting that I, I love the way that we're exploring it in this show. The fact that we have a show about an, an niche like culture within the Star Wars universe and this person from it—that's just so exciting. I, I 100% agree. And, uh, yeah, that brings us to the end of the trailer. And, uh, yeah, all you have to do is, uh, you know, analyze the title, wait. I guess, when it's blue. Oh, yeah, I guess. Um, I yeah. Saying, oh, oh, I thought you were saying, like, all we have to do is wait for a month. Well, yeah, that's true. And that's another thing that's true. All we got to do is wait for a month and, like, what is it, 10 days? A month and 10 days? Mm. Um, honestly, because I wasn't sure if the Mando trailer would do this. You know, sometimes how they show the main crux of the trailer and then they show the title sequence and then there's like another 10 seconds of footage after it. Mm. Yeah. I thought that, that maybe we'd get something we didn't. That's totally fine. And like, you know, it doesn't mean that we need to get something. I was just curious if it would happen. Um, we didn't, but again, that's fine. Yeah, so the big thing about this trailer, I think, so it was interesting. We saw lots of new areas, lots of interesting stuff, but definitely the biggest thing to take away is we didn't see Ahsoka. And I was, yeah. I, we were under the assumption that we definitely would see Ahsoka. So that's yeah, very this this whole thing about the the whole reason the trailer had been delayed was because of the fact that they needed to shoot this cantina sequence that was going to serve as the trailer for the show is interesting because like you know maybe that's just for another thing maybe that's part of the the second trailer that will happen after this one but I honestly don't know maybe I'm not even sure if we'll get a second trailer. Um, I honestly feel like I've seen enough. Like I could go in now that we have had this trailer and I could still be satisfied. Um, because at the, at the same time, like, you know, I, I say, Oh yes, where's Ahsoka? I want to see Ahsoka. But at the same time, it would be really, really fun and gratifying to see her for the first time whenever she pops up in the show. Yeah, um, exactly. So yeah. I think the implication probably most being that, yes, I would love to see in the show, but the fact that, so in the trailer, but the fact that we haven't really seen her in the trailer I think it's implying that it's probably going to be like a reveal in the show. Like I, yeah. I think if we haven't seen it now, it's I'd reckon it's doubtful that we'll see her in promotion before the show. Like I reckon, I reckon probably first time we'll see it will be in the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, and uh, well, yeah, 
that's the end of the trailer, guys. Um, I I like to think we've had a very um, broad description of anything that any of these shots could mean. I think the main takeaway from this trailer is uh, we are getting a lot of new planets, and something that's going to be heavily implied is well, Mando's search for. Uh, you know, search for answers in terms of not only yeah. where the child comes from, but um, the Jedi. Learning more about the Jedi, yes. the, mis- the mystique of the Jedi. Mm. Yeah. This trailer has just gotten me so excited again. Like, I was already very excited for The Mandalorian, but, like, all the things they've been showing in terms of possible things that I just love from the Star Wars universe I already know, plus things that they're going to be showing that's new about the Star Wars universe I'm so excited for, just the overall quality of the show and how they just understand what we love about Star Wars right now. This has just gotten me so excited for Mandalorian again, so I am pumped. Can't yeah, wait for the, October. The trailer, did, the trailer did everything it had, it had to do. Showed us new planets, new characters that are going to be introduced. This, uh, adding a sense of really, really interesting mystique as to what's going to happen in the trailer itself and the season. Uh, that was really interesting. Showing us, like, you know, scenes that are clearly part of the same sort of, like, uh, episode, but are split up to make you think that they are, you know, somewhere else. It really did everything that a trailer should do without giving you an overabundance of answers or even plot, which is really something that a trailer should aim to do. And I think they've done it in spades here. And guys, that brings an end to the main discussion and an end to uh, today's podcast. So thank you so much again for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this. Um, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, now that we've actually finally got a Mandalorian season two trailer, I'm sure I'll be watching it uh, again. Um, in no time flat. Uh, I'm sure you can say the same, Michael. Um, Over and over and over again, yeah. Yes, and uh, we will continue to watch it and, uh, you know, offer up our thoughts on it. And, um, yeah, and I'm sure this is not the last, uh, you know, Mandalorian-related thing that we will have to report on before the show starts back up again. I'm sure more stuff will be happening. Sure, there'll be little snippets of news, but definitely when the big show finally drops, we'll make sure to do weekly episodes reviewing each episode. It's going to be great. Yeah. I, I, I have no doubt of that. Uh, as for the housekeeping for the podcast, guys, same as every week, uh, wherever you got, wherever you get your podcast, uh, we're there. Listen, listen to us telling the odds. We're available 12 PM AEST on uh, the Sunday. So if you're listening to us now, thank you very much. And we'll be available on YouTube the very same time, the very next day on the Monday, uh, we're available on social media, Facebook, which is where we're most active, but as, but we are also, um, available on Instagram and Twitter. We, we talk, we post a lot of our thumbnails there in the links to the episode itself so make sure to uh, see us there um youtube we mentioned that make sure to rate comment review subscribe whatever you have to do on the interwebs to find uh to find us uh please do it we would really appreciate it and um yeah i think what i think it's safe to assume that uh next week we'll be getting into the next chapter of our skywalker saga retrospective um yeah and uh be prepared because i'm pretty sure we will be um, doing our Star Wars Skywalker Saga retrospectives for all three sequel films um, over the course of three weeks because it's yeah. under four Unless weeks now. Really big. I think that's probably going to be what's happening. Yeah, because it's under four weeks now, uh, now until the Mandalorian season two trailer starts, and we want to be able to devote whole episodes to reviewing the yeah. episodes. So should um, be interesting uh, next week because I think Force Awakens is probably going to be the first of the Star Wars films that we generally have quite different opinions on. So yeah, no. I, you're, you're absolutely right. It's going to be a very intricate discussion, and I've written a lot of notes already. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that'll be um, interesting. So make sure to tune in next week for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anything else to say, Michael? I think not. Uh, have have a, have a good week, everyone. Uh, enjoy your Star Wars content. Stay safe out there, and uh, thanks for listening to Telling Us. 
Couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you guys so much for listening. May the force be with you always. This has been Telling the Odds. <laughs>